0: Chapter 9 of The Mystery of the Four Fingers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Four Fingers by Fred M. White. Chapter 9: A New Phase. There was not the slightest doubt that Gurdon had hit the mark. As far as they could see at present, the man most likely to benefit by the death or disappearance of the cripple was Mark Fenwick. Still, it was impossible to dismiss the thing in this casual way nor could it be forgotten that the cripple had actually been present at the grand empire hotel on the night when the alleged millionaire received his message by means of the mummified finger therefore logically speaking it was only fair to infer that on the night in question fenwick had not been acquainted with the personality of the cripple otherwise the latter would have scarcely ventured to show himself in a place where his experiment had been brought to a conclusion on the other hand it was just possible that fenwick had been looking for the cripple for some time past but all this was more or less in the air though there was a great deal to be said for the conclusion at which the two friends had arrived i work it out like this venner said after a long thoughtful pause you know all about the four-finger mine you know exactly what happened to the dutchman van fort after the murder of le fenu it will be fresh in your recollection how by some mysterious agency The fingers of the Dutchman were conveyed to his wife, though he himself was never seen again. It is quite fair to infer that Fenwick has contrived to get hold of the same mine, though that dangerous property does not seem to have harmed him as much as it did the other thief. Still, we know that he has lost all the fingers of his left hand, and we have evidence of the fact that the vengeance has been worked out in the same mysterious fashion as it was worked out on the Dutchman. We know, too, who is at the bottom of the plot. We know that the cripple could tell us all about it if he liked. Obviously this same cripple is a deadly enemy of Fenwick's, and, no doubt, Fenwick has found out where to lay his hands upon his man quite recently. Fenwick is a clever man, he is bold and unscrupulous, and without question he set to work at once to get the better of the cripple. Of course this may be nothing but a wrong theory of mine, and it may lead us astray, but it is all I can see to work upon at present." "'I don't think you are very far wrong,' Gurdon said, "'but I am still puzzled about the house in Portsmouth Square.' "'Which house do you mean?' Vener asked. "'The one in which my adventure took place, the house from which the furniture vanished so mysteriously.' "'That seems to me capable of an easy explanation,' Vener replied. "'There is no doubt that the man called Bates and the Cripple are one and the same person. You must admit that.' "'Yes, I admit that freely enough. Go on.' "'Well, this Bates, as we will call him, has a large establishment at 75 Portsmouth Square. The house next door was empty. Possibly it belonged to Mr. Bates. He had a whim for furnishing a room or two in an empty house, or perhaps there was some more sinister purpose behind it. Anyway, after you had blundered on the place and had taken your life in your hands, it became necessary for the man to disappear from number 74. Therefore, he had that furniture removed at once.' i dare say if we investigated the house carefully we should find that there was some means of communication between the two at least that is the only explanation i can think of you've got it gurdon cried i'll wager any money you are right but i am sorry the man has vanished in this mysterious way because it checks our investigations at the very outset the last thing you wanted in this matter was police interference now the whole thing has got into the papers and the public are sure to take the matter up it is the very class of mystery that the cheap press loves to dwell upon it has all the attributes of the cause célibre here is a handsome man picturesque looking a cripple into the bargain a man leading an absolutely secluded life and the very last person in the world one would expect to have enemies he is very rich too and lives in one of the finest houses in the west end of london he disappears in the most mysterious manner unless i am greatly mistaken within the next two or three days "'London will be disclosing this matter, "'and the newspapers will be full of it.' "'I am afraid you are right,' Venner admitted, "'but I don't see how we are going to gain anything "'by telling the police what we have found out. "'As you know, I investigated this matter solely in the interests of the woman I love, "'and with the one intention of freeing her life "'from the cloud that hangs over it. "'In any other circumstances I would go direct to Scotland Yard "'and tell them everything we know, but not now. "'I think you will agree with me that we should go our own way and say nothing to anybody about our discovery. The events of the next day or so verified the fears of the two friends. The Bates case appealed powerfully to the large section of the public who delight in crimes of the mysterious order. Within a couple of days, most of the newspapers were devoting much space to the problem. It so happened, too, that the week was an exceedingly barren one from a news point of view. Therefore, the Bates case had the place of honor. There was absolutely no fresh information, not a single line that pointed to a definite solution of the problem indeed the ingenious way in which most of the papers contrived to fill some three columns a day was beyond all praise but both gurdon and venner searched in vain for a scrap of information that threw any light on the identity of the missing man his habits were described at some length a tolerably accurate description of his household appeared in several quarters but nothing very much beyond that the missing man's servants were exceedingly reticent and if they knew anything whatever about their master, they had preferred to confide it to the police, in preference to the inquisitive reporter. Not a single relative turned up, though it was generally understood that the missing man was possessed of considerable property. It was on the third day that Venner began to see daylight. One of the evening papers had come out with a startling letter, which seemed to point to a clue, though it conveyed nothing to the police. Venner came round to Gurdon's rooms with a copy of the evening paper in his hand. He laid it before his friend and asked him to read the letter, which, though it contained but a few lines, was of absorbing interest to both of them. "'You see what this man says,' Venner remarked. "'He appears to be a working man who got himself into trouble over a drinking bout. Two days ago he was charged before the magistrate with being drunk and disorderly, and was sentenced to a fine of forty shillings or fourteen days' imprisonment according to his story the money was not forthcoming therefore he was taken to jail at the end of the two days his friends contrived to obtain the necessary cash and he was released he writes all this to show how it was that he was entirely ignorant of the startling events which had taken place in the bates case this man goes on to say that on the night when mr bates disappeared he was passing portsmouth square on his way home from some public-house festivities he was none too sober and has a hazy recollection of what he saw he recollects quite clearly now that he has time to think the matter over seeing a cab standing at the corner of the square within three doors of number seventy five at the same time a telegraph boy called at number seventy five with a message it was at this point that the narrator of the story stopped to light his pipe it was a rather windy evening so that he used several matches in the process anyway he stood there long enough to see the telegraph boy deliver his message to a gentleman, who appeared to have great difficulty in getting to the door. No sooner had the telegraph boy gone than the gentleman crept slowly and painfully down the steps and walked in the direction of the cab. Then somebody stepped from the cab and accosted the cripple, who, beyond all question, was the mysterious Bates. The writer of the letter says that he heard a sort of cry, Then someone called out something in a language that he was unable to understand. He rather thinks it was Portuguese." because among his fellow-workmen is a portuguese artisan and the language sounded something like his we are getting on gurdon said that little touch about the portuguese language clearly points to fenwick of course it does venner went on but that is not quite all the letter goes on to say that something like a struggle took place after which the cripple was bundled into the cab which was driven away it was a four-wheeled cab and the peculiarity about it was that it had india-rubber tires which is a most unusual thing for the typical growler. The author of all this information says that the struggle appeared to be of no very desperate nature, for it was followed by nothing in the way of a call for help. Indeed, the workman who was telling all this seemed to think that it was more or less in the way of what he calls a spree. He said nothing whatever to the police about it, fearing perhaps that he himself was in no fit state to tell a story, and besides, There was just the possibility that he might find himself figuring before a magistrate the next morning. That is the whole of the letter, Gurdon, which, though it conveys very little to the authorities, is full of pregnant information for ourselves. At any rate, it tells us quite clearly that Fenwick was at the bottom of this outrage. Quite right, Gurdon said. The little touch about the Portuguese language proves that. Is there anything else in the letter likely to be useful to us? No, I have given you the whole of it personally the best thing we can do is to go and interview the writer who has given his name and address a small but judicious outlay in the matter of beer will cause him to tell us all we want to know it was somewhere in the neighborhood of the docks where the man who had given his name as james taylor was discovered later on in the day he was a fairly intelligent type of laborer who obtained a more or less precarious livelihood as a docker as a rule he worked hard enough four or five hours a day when things were brisk and in slack periods when money was scarce he spent the best part of his day in bed he had one room in a large tenement house where the friends found him partially dressed and reading a sporting paper he was not disposed to be communicative at first but the suggestion of something in the way of liquid refreshment stimulated his good nature right you are he said i've had nothing to-day besides a mouthful of breakfast and when i've paid my rent i shall have a solitary tanner left "'and I hope you gents are not down here "'with a view of getting a poor chap into trouble.' "'Gurdon hastened to reassure him on that head. "'He was balancing a half-sovereign "'thoughtfully on his forefinger. "'We are not going to hurt you at all,' he said. "'We want you to give us a little information. "'In proof of what I say, "'you can take this half-sovereign "'and obtain what liquid refreshment you require. "'Also you can keep the change. "'If you don't like my proposal, "'there is an end of the matter.' "'Don't be short, sure, governor,' Taylor responded. "'I like that there proposition of yours so well "'that I'm going to take it. "'Alf sovereigns ain't so plentiful as all that comes to. "'If you just wait a moment, I'll be back in half a dick. "'Then I'll tell you all you want to know.' The man was back again presently, and professed himself ready to answer any questions that might be put to him. His manner grew just a little suspicious, as Venner mentioned the name of Bates. "'You don't look like police,' he said. "'Speaking personally, I ain't fond of em, "'and I don't want to get into trouble.' we have no connection whatever with the police venner said in fact we would rather not have anything to do with them it so happens that we are both interested in the gentleman that you saw getting into the cab the other night i have read your letter in the paper and i am quite prepared to believe every word of it the only thing we want to know is whether you saw the man in the cab which one taylor asked there were two blokes in the cab that is very interesting venner murmured "'I shall be greatly obliged to you "'if you will describe both of them.' "'I couldn't describe the one, Governor Taylor replied. "'His back was to me all the time, "'and when you come to think of it, "'I wasn't quite so clear in the head as I might have been, "'but I caught a glimpse of the other man's face. "'As he looked out of the cab, "'the light on the lamp shone on his face. "'He'd a big cloak on, as far as I could judge, "'with the collar turned up about his throat, "'and a soft at on his head. "'He knocks the ad off, looking out of the cab window. "'Then I see as his head is as bald as a bloomin' egg.' and yellow same as if he had been painted i can't tell you any more than that not if you was to give me another half-sovereign on top of the first one just another question gurdon said then we won't bother you any more about what age do you suppose the man was taylor paused thoughtfully for a moment before he replied well i should think he was about fifty-five or sixty he said looked like some sort of foreigner that will do thank you venner said we will not detain you any longer. At the same time, I should be obliged if you would keep this information to yourself. But, of course, if the police question you, you will have to speak. But a discreet silence on the subject of this visit of ours would be esteemed. Taylor winked and nodded, and the friends departed, not displeased to get away from the stuffy and vitiated atmosphere of Taylor's room. On the whole, they were not dissatisfied with the result of their expedition. At any rate, They had now proof positive of the fact that Fenwick was at the bottom of the mysterious disappearance of the man called Bates. "'I don't quite see what we are going to do next,' Venner said. "'So far we have been exceedingly fortunate to find ourselves in possession of a set of clues which would be exceedingly valuable to the police. But how we are going to use these clues is quite another matter. What do you suggest?' "'Keeping a close eye on Fenwick, at any rate, for that purpose it would not be a bad idea,' to employ a private inquiry agent he need know nothing of what we are after thereupon it was decided that gurdon was to dine with venner that night and go fully into the matter chapter nine